Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> hey, I really want to apologize to everybody for geeking out on beer, but I'm not going to. Ah. <laughs> you drinking? Oh, just a little bit. <laughs> Palmer, Palmer's in the bat cave this, uh, this episode. Uh, yes. Our apologies, but uh, it's not possible for Palmer to, uh, to jet up here this week. Not this time. All right. But uh, you probably be uh, with us uh, when we do the. Uh, you'll definitely be with us when we do the Blickman Engineering uh, giveaway of uh, you know brewing with uh, Kevin Drake out in Kings Beach, California. That's you right. Know, brew with him on his uh, top tier system, or uh, he's going to come to my place. I don't know yet, but yep. uh, yeah, uh, we'll yeah, all we, be there. It's going to be a lot of fun, eh? Yeah, really. I'm looking forward to it. That'll be a lot of just yeah. a blast. Right. Yeah. Whether it's at your at your place or up at uh, Tahoe, there, uh, it'd be cool. Yeah, Tahoe would be great. It, we're we're gonna have an awesome time, and you know, great thanks to Blickman Engineering. Uh, you know, John Blickman. Yeah, he's, making he's, this possible. He's been a real peach. Yeah, uh, <laughs> supporting us and the show and the Bring Network and and all our listeners. So uh, I, had, I had a lot of fun. If you get a chance, check him out. He's he's a sponsor of this show. He sponsors uh, Brew Strong. He pays for the show, so you don't have to. So go go check out BlickmanEngineering.com. That's Blickman with two N's. And uh, yeah, check it out there and, and, and see what they've got to offer. They've got a lot of very innovative, I would say. I, 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 that That's probably the... Uh, the word that describes Blickman Engineering in my mind, if if you yeah. had to describe it with one word, innovative, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, geeky, innovative, nerdy, innovative. Yeah, yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, perfect, perfect sponsor for this show. Uh, so check it out, BlickmanEngineering.com. Lots of good stuff there. Uh, if you get a chance, send them an email. Tell them tell them how much you appreciate them sponsoring the show, so uh, you're uh, not needing to uh, to pay for it. Uh, you know, on on other news, uh, you know, on the book front, you know, this this yeast book that uh, Homeboy and Dogmeat have done, it's uh, given us quite quite the bit of uh, street cred here. Yeah, I would I would think so. I mean, it's a great book. Yeah. I really enjoyed reading it. We've been asked to uh, speak at uh, an MBAA uh, uh, oh. meeting uh, on on yeast, and then uh, CBC you know, doing both of those. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. uh, I'm I'm quite quite pleased. I you know I'm quite uh, I don't know a little bit worried. You know, speaking <laughs> to such uh, such crowds of people, but uh, that's all uh, right. You know, don't worry. I can, I can hold up cue cards for you from the audience. You know, CBC. <laughs> there you go. Well, and uh, you know, speaking of which, speaking of books, you know, 
I would say that you know your your uh, How to Brew book has been uh, has really become the book for learning how to brew. You know, I think uh, you know as much Thanks. as I love Charlie P. Yeah, uh, I will always love Charlie P. Definitely, uh, me too. You know, the it's really you know the the father of so much of this stuff that has this happened and, and made our industry possible. Mm-hmm. Um. And his great, uh, his great uh, brewing books, and his uh, you know, ha- you know, have a homebrew, don't worry, and all that stuff. Yeah, I think you've really s- become the new Charlie P. Your your book, uh, How to Brew, is really wow. you know, if you look at all the the rankings and stuff, and uh, the number of people that are learning to brew with your book. Yeah, it's it seems like it, doesn't it? it uh, it's very humbling and very gratifying. Yeah. Uh, well, you did an excellent job with that. And it's the third edition. You, you've you know, tweaked everything, and you getting ready for a fourth edition? Anytime? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not not the moment. Uh, probably probably keep going with this one for a couple more years. But yeah. then, yeah, it's certainly. Uh, I'm certainly not going to just sit around, and and uh, I'm going to keep keep on top of everything. And, and I'm sure there's that's your wife uh, speaking, isn't it, <laughs> Don? You can't sit around. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I mean, we are learning learning stuff every year, every right. every symposium, every conference I go to. You know, always learning new stuff, and it's always, you know, I always feel the need to to add that and clarify things. And so, right. yeah, I'm sure right. I'll keep going with it. Yeah, you know, and, and for people listening to the show, if you come across stuff where it sounds like we're changing our minds, you know, a couple of years down the road, maybe that uh, you know. Sure, go ahead and ask us about it. That's that's uh, that's cool. Yeah. But it may be that uh, you know information has changed. We're you know, John and I are learning all the time, and and a, and a big part of us learning this stuff is you guys asking these questions. We yeah. know a lot of stuff, but you know, you listeners are great. You have really interesting questions. You think about things in different ways, and uh, you know, you you send these emails to Brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork dot com. And, you know, we read these and we go, yeah, whoa, boy, I never thought about that. You know, I wonder how that does affect, uh, you know, this process or that. And so we go ahead and do the research and, and figure it out. Or John does the research, figures it out, and emails me the answer, and I, you know, spout it as, uh, you know, like I did the work. Yeah. That's generally how, you, how it works. You put it into Shakespeare, you know. Right, right. I make it sound uh, sound in normal person speak instead of uh, yeah. geek, geek speak. <laughs> but uh no so uh uh i don't know where i'm going with this but uh i, I really enjoy doing the show with you john and uh, i enjoy our sponsors oh, and mm-hmm. uh, i even enjoy being here in the rat pad with uh justin uh and it's uh just a lot of fun yeah one of my favorite places to be well mm-hmm. and uh you know speaking about uh you know places to be uh the aha has got its uh, homebrewers conference in san diego this year in june if you haven't mm-hmm. signed up for it yet, get yourself to uh, homebrewersassociation.org, I believe is his website, and uh, you know sign up for the conference. If you're not an AHA member, uh, you know go to thebrewingnetwork.com and get your AHA membership. By cl- you click on that link there, it takes you to the AHA website, and um, you can sign up for your membership there. Uh, and a little portion goes to the Brewing Network, and it helps out a great organization, two great organizations, the Brewing Network and the AHA. And then uh, – because if you buy your your conference pass without a membership, they tack on the price of a membership anyway. So 
Hey, you might as well go ahead and get your membership through the through the Brew Network. And uh, <clears throat> John and I, and and for that matter, all the the Brewing Network crew will be down there at the uh, AHA conference in San Diego. It's going to be the best AHA conference there ever has been. I mean, I just know. Yeah. My my San Diego brothers and sisters are, are going to put on just a fantastic show. So uh, sign up, get out there. Uh, you know, it's going to sell out, and it's going to sell out quickly. So if you haven't signed up yet, by the time you're hearing this, you better get on the ball and uh, get signed up for it because it's it's going to be the biggest one ever, and it's going to sell out probably faster than any of them. So. Uh, Get on the ball and get that. All right. Uh, speaking of the uh, questions that everybody sends in, it's going to be a Q&A show. We're trying to catch up on uh, you guys sending in so many great questions, and uh, we're kind of really way behind the times on getting these answered. So uh, that's going to be this show today. We're going to do Q&A. So we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll have your questions after this. From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand, most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now, Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand, the only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier. Whether I'm making me dry stout or rebuilding me kegs, I head to the heart of dear Dublin for me homebrewing supplies. You head all the way back to Emerald Isle just for a wee batch of grain but a bit of keg tubing? No, you moronic waste to deliver Dublin, California. I go to HopTech. For 30 years, HopTech in Dublin, California has been supplying homebrewers with malt extract, fresh grains, hops, spices and sugars, hop oils and extracts, and much more. HopTech is one of the first homebrew supply shops on the internet and is proud to offer award-winning beer kits, both online and in their store. Mention the BN Army for a 10% discount off your order. The store is open every day except Wednesday or shop online at hoptech.com anytime. Hoptech is run by passionate, award-winning brewers who live, love, and travel for beer and bring their experience to the store for you. If you don't want to visit Dublin, just call toll-free 800-DRY-HOPS or go to hoptech.com. Visit Hoptech today in Dublin, California and at hoptech.com. Take a listen. Our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. 
You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Where were we? You stole an oak barrel from the mist of Ravenwood and Lord Zinfandel the Avenger is in pursuit. Do you drop the barrel and run? Hell no. We need it for a Flinders Red. I'm going to cast Pediacocket's Damnesis on the barrel. Sorry, your ghosts are imprisoned in his winery forever. Ugh, I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. This sucks! What do we have here, Orville Rodenbach? Buzz off, guy! We got a brew session going. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Do you get a long lasting foam stand when you think about wheat malt? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs, ingredients, equipment, and knowledge at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the pre prohibition lager. Perfect for steampunk! And the single hop best bitter. Now on cap and 10 forward! Make 10th level at northernbrewer.com. Ewa, what's your feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. It's the Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Nate, uh, doesn't say where he's from, but Nate says, uh, I frequently use a desk lamp to warm my beer inside my fermentation cabinet. Uh-huh. I don't worry about the light that hits my beer because it is an incandescent light. And my understanding is that there is no UV light coming from an incandescent bulb. Should I cover the lamp with aluminum foil to get the heat without the light? Or am I okay shining a desk lamp right by my carboy? Well, um, you know, there is some UV that comes from an incandescent bulb. It's not nearly as much as a fluorescent. That's one thing I would say. And the other is I wouldn't cover a bulb with aluminum foil. Because uh, I yeah. think it's going to explode at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, what I do is I take a black T-shirt. You buy a black T-shirt from uh, hereticbrewing.com if you if you don't have one. <laughs> or the Brewing Network. Or the Brewing Network.com. I guess they got black shirts, too. Yeah. Uh, what you do is you slide over your carboy, uh, and then uh, don't put the neck hole directly over the top. You put a sleeve hole over the top, and then you... F- put the other sleeve hole over the top and it seals it up quite nicely and that'll protect it from the light uh um I, you know what what do you do for for heating up your uh fermentations uh, palmer uh you know heating has never been my problem down here no uh, that's true you're in the uh, sunny southern california yeah it's uh cool you know that's been my issue mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Even during the winter when, uh, you know, we'll have weeks of 65 degrees and, uh, I, you know, I could just set fermenters in the garage. Right. Sure enough, a heat wave will come along the day after I brew that'll kick it up to 90. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, 
usually I just, I have to put things in the fridge to and to help make make sure they stay in the you know sixty five to seventy range rather than the eighty to ninety. Right. Well, and for me, um, you know, I don't like anything that uh, heats up the the chamber itself necessarily. I like to you know directly apply the heat. I use um, uh, firm wrap. Which is, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, morebeer.com sells it. I'm sure, uh, you know, other other uh, fine places like Northern Brewer probably sell something similar as well, but I happen to get mine from, from uh, Morebeer. Um, it's essentially a, a mylar film with uh, resistive uh, ink in the middle, and um, you, know, you plug it in. You just plug it into your controller, and it wraps around the fermenter. You know, you can buy that or, you know, probably the cheapest way, go down to Walmart, buy yourself a heating pad and use that. You just put it up against the side of the, the fermenter and, you know, works great. And and then you don't have the worries about UV or anything like that. So uh, That's true. Yeah. And that's a, a, a really good way to go. And, um, you know, I, I imagine it's probably safer than a, a light bulb as well. I mean, they're meant for yeah, resistant heating. True. Um, you know, a light bulbs made for generating light, and you don't want to trap a lot of heat around a light bulb. And Nate also says, "This is to you, John. Uh, greetings, John, from a fellow Midlander. I loved oh, wow. it when I saw the Titabawasi Brown in your first book. <laughs> I never brewed it though because I don't think it could. Tr- I could drink a beer named after that river. <laughs> well, it was nice and brown, but uh... the river or the beer." The river, <laughs> or both? Huh? Yeah, lots of lots of natural tannins in the water. I mean, some unnatural ones too. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, there's something to be said for being naturally brown. Absolutely. All right, uh, Vincent. Uh, Vincent says, uh, "Hi, I'm listening to the Bruce Strong podcast on repitching yeast." Ah, there's a problem right there. Uh, it is said that repitching from high gravity beer is not a real good idea because high alcohol kills a lot of the yeast. I was thinking if you top crop the yeast while the beer is in high croissant, the alcohol uh, contents of the beer is probably in a much more comfortable range. Uh, that is not really new. Most Belgian brewery do this. Um, but the process seems harder than normal yeast slurry collection. So I'd like to hear more about top cropping procedure, when, why, how to do it. Uh, thanks, Vincent. Uh, Vincent, um, uh, there's this book by uh, Home, Homeboy and Dog Meat, uh, Yeast, and it talks about uh, top cropping, when to do it, and all that. Um, and I think you know that might be a good uh, idea for a full show. I think you're right. Yeah, I think yeah. we you know we could go into depth on top cropping, but the basics are um, you want to do it as, as sanitary as you can. Uh, I think it is a, a good way of of harvesting yeast because yeah, the the yeast aren't sitting in high alcohol uh, beer and uh, you know just getting bombarded and thrashed by the uh, the high alcohol levels, poisoned essentially. Um, you know the yeast will rise to the top. The, the, one of the things about uh, top cropping, though, is not all yeast will rise to the top or rise to the top of the same amount. Some yeast uh, are real great top croppers. Um, the West Yorkshire yeast from uh, Y yeast I've used for the uh, 
the black sheep uh, clone. That really pops the top. It stays the top. You could probably rack the beer out from underneath and it would still remain <laughs> up top. <laughs> it just stays there after fermentation's done. The yeast is still there on top, literally. Um, but, uh, you know, you open your container and you can, uh, you know, just spoon out the yeast. You want to watch that, you know, dust and things aren't settling in there because that's going to contaminate your yeast. Uh, in the yeast book, um, uh, Scott, I think it was from um, uh, the East Coast, he provided us photos of his top cropping, which is, um, you know, a series of tubing and vessels. You can go ahead and kind of vacuum the 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 yeast off the top of your beer into your vessel and um, you'll top crop after about uh, 48 hours uh, is about when you top crop if you want to do multiple crops um, or you know one of the things is you know that first crop tends to carry a lot of protein and other um, tube with it you might want to skim that very top layer off and then crop from underneath that or you can actually, you know, crop that first, and then some yeast will produce a second crop. Um, so there's, you know, uh, it depends on the strain. It depends on, you know, experience. But generally, um, it's a great way to go as far as harvesting yeast. If you can do it uh, nice and cleanly, I think it's, um, you know, a fine, fine uh, way to go. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next question. We're just hammering right through. Uh, Steven uh, from uh, Seattle, Washington. And you always want to put your uh, location on there so because I don't want to give out your last names just in case you want to remain anonymous. Let people know you're listening to uh, such heathens here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Stephen from Seattle, Washington, he says, uh, Hi there, question for John. In the metals show... You talked about reactions that can occur between dissimilar metals in an acid solution causing corrosion and or oxidation. I have a 10-gallon aluminum pot that I would like to augment with a racking spigot and maybe a thermometer. How quickly will those reactions become a problem if I use weldless stainless steel fittings on my aluminum pot? Can I just make sure I clean the fittings each batch or will it affect even a single batch? Thanks, Stephen. Okay, well, this is a good question. Um, actually, um, there, it's not going to react very much uh, in this case because aluminum is the more reactive metal in, of the two. Um, stainless steel is the least reactive, followed by copper, um, followed by um, other st- uh, low, well, diff- different a couple other metals. You didn't mix ti- titanium in there. Yeah, well, titanium would be even more passive than stainless. Stainless, yeah. But um, but, it, but I have a titanium brew pot, don't you? No, <laughs> just kidding. Sorry, but uh, yeah, the the stainless is is going to be the least reactive. So when you have a very large active metal metal area, the aluminum brew pot, and a, a, a relatively smaller um, passive. Uh, metal area, the stainless. Um, what that does is it distributes the corros- corrosion or uh, load or potential, you know, very widely. Hmm. So you end up with very minimal corrosion, uh, galvanic corrosion as a result of that metal pairing. 
Huh. Whereas if you spun it around and you had a, you know, a large stainless steel pot with, with a small aluminum spigot. aluminum spigot, yeah, that aluminum spigot would would you know wow. corrode quickly. Wow, because you had it's a, just the difference in potential. Huh. Um, so it's you know electrons traveling from one to the other, or right, huh. right. Huh. Well, and it, and I think you know a lot of these weld lists they have. Um, you know, a uh, a uh, O-ring or, you know, some sort of gasketing that right. kind of separates it from the metal. If it wasn't touching, um, you know, then there'd be no problem. I think, you know, if you have moisture bridging that gap, then it becomes even, you know, that enhances right. it even more. And then, like you're saying, depending on, uh, you know, if you were to put a brass fitting on a stainless steel pot... Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be more of an issue, right? Yeah. The um, but because brass and copper are closer to stainless mm-hmm. uh, in terms of galvanic potential than the aluminum is, aluminum's farther away. Mm-hmm. Um, the again, the reaction, the corrosion rate uh, is pretty low, mm-hmm. uh, even though you've got the large stainless area and the small brass area, mm-hmm. uh, because the two potentials are, are closer together. Again, you have a, a low overall reaction rate um, taking place. So, I've, I've, I use brass fittings for years and never had any problems. Copper and brass also have uh, the uh, advantage of that they polarize the, the outside surface, um, develops a, a passive layer uh, that is very similar to the stainless steel in terms of potential. After a few batches, and so it, it kind of initially it may react, but then after, with time it stops reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, and likewise the aluminum uh, aluminum pot, you know, after a few uses, it's gotten you know nice and passive. Mm-hmm. You put a stainless steel kind of uh, oxidizes, right? Right, mm-hmm. right. And you put a stainless steel uh, spigot on there, or you know, thermal well or something, and uh, it's not going to. There's not going to be any. Cr- corrosion to speak of so let's say if i had a, a new aluminum pot and i wanted to put a, a weldless spigot on there and i go ahead mm-hmm. and drill a hole right uh you know obviously i'm exposing some fresh aluminum there would mm-hmm. it be advantageous to just let that sit for you know a couple of weeks build up a you know a, a passivated you know oxidized layer or something or or does well, that or take longer than that or is there some way to kind of you know I don't know. Pickle this this pot so I have less of an issue, or sure, just don't worry about it. Well, the the, the best thing you do would be to heat it up, mm-hmm. uh, throw it in the oven, um, three hundred fifty degrees for an hour or so, uh-huh. and uh, that will encourage uh, passive Speed. oxides to form. Yeah, it speeds speed up, up the, the oxidation. Uh, reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as soon as you expose um, any bright metal surface to air it oxidizes in the case of stainless it does you know 95 percent passivation instantly uh-huh. you can you can enhance stainless steel passivation by chemical means but um really you're 95 percent of the way over the way there as soon as you expose a clean metal surface to the air mm-hmm. so that's why i always advocate the the stainless steel kitchen cleansers for cleaning stainless but in the case of aluminum while that oxidizes it is a pretty thin oxide that can be uh, breached easily 
because they loom them soft and so on by acidic foods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, ne- you really you never want to make tomato sauce in a lemon pot, right? Unless that unless it's a calfalon where you got that black anodize on it, it'll etch, etch right through. Yeah, and uh, you know, especially if you leave it sitting there. Yeah, you know, yeah. or even water sitting in a aluminum pot, you'll you'll end up with a a line right there at the top. Right. No time at all. Yeah, but if you if you take the step to throw in the oven at three hundred fifty or hotter. Uh, for an hour or so, that will encourage the oxide layer to form and and thicken it, and it'll make that pot less reactive. Um, also, then, then you know, subsequent boils or when you use the pot for brewing, don't scrub it. You know, bright and shiny. Let it stay dull. You know, mm-hmm. get, get the surface soil off, but let that aluminum stay nice and dull. It's more passive that way, and you won't have any won't have any flavor issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Yeah, that's a good question, uh, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sending it in at uh, BrewStrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. We uh, we will try and get to every single question that was sent in. Um, it's tricky because there's a lot of them, but uh, we want to make sure uh, you know we're, we're addressing those for you guys. All right. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll get uh, to more of your questions right after this. Since 1921, Mundins has been a provider of quality malted grain and extract. What did he just say? What did he say? That's 90 years of locally sourced grain for home brewers and professional brewers alike. All farm within 50 miles of our malt houses. What? I can't understand what this guy said. Last part. Whole and crushed malts, including wheat and peated malt, liquid extract, hopped and unhopped, as well as dried malt extract. Everything from beginner home brewer kits to all the ingredients an infant's home brewer needs. Something about trains? What? Languages this guy speaking is from Austria. Mundins is proudly serving brewers in 54 countries and honored to be a leader in mowing. Can you understand this guy? No. <laughs> That's a really free language. Muntins for brewing, distilling, and baking. Quality malted grain and extract for 90 years. Make your malt Muntins. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmaster's Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BNARMY in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own Magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the Home Brewed Chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your home brew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. 
John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read your way to better homebrew. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right. Back to, to Brew Strong and your Q&A and all your questions. And, uh, you know, one of the questions commonly about uh, brewing is spice additions. And one of the things you can do to um. spice up your love life, I guess, <laughs> is take yourself over to adamandeve.com. Uh, they have uh, all sorts of adventurous, uh, interesting things, depending on uh, what your preference is. They got it. So uh, go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time, you can get 50% off just about any item. Um, and when you select your item, you're also going to get uh, three three free adult DVDs for inspiration, plus uh, free extra gift, very sensual gift that uh, they don't want us to mention it, and free shipping. And you check They're not that bottle out. caps? <laughs> That's a pretty sensual gift, if you ask me. Yeah. My wife has given me a couple of bottle caps to uh, use. I I think that would be that would be awesome. So uh, for that special offer, that fifty percent off uh, and the the free three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping, you're going to use the code Jamel J A M I L at AdamandEve dot com. Uh, check it out. They got uh, like eighteen thousand items there, and uh, you know, pretty interesting. You know. Everybody has sex, or everybody wants to have sex. I would think. So, uh, if you have a, a chance to, you know, make the most of it and enjoy it, why not? So, uh, AdamandEve.com supplying those those uh, products for people to uh, to enjoy. So, go check it out. They help sponsor the show. So, they can't be all bad. <laughs> all right. Back to your questions. Uh, beer. We'll have, you know, we really should get Blickman Engineering and Adam Need together. You know. <laughs> Let's talk to John's wife before we do that. Let's just make sure she's cool. Yeah, with she might first. have some ideas, too. Right. Blickman would be cool with it. That guy's cool with just about everything. He's one, he's one funny dude. I like that guy. He's, he is hilarious. Um. No, he's and he's so businesslike, you know. Otherwise, you know, you, you can trust him with your business, mm-hmm. but you know, once you get to know him, you know, he's just he's freaking hilarious. I uh, love that guy. All right, uh, let's see. Beer kits. Ed says, um, "I recently listened to the Bruce Strong podcast on beer kits. Can you tell which brand of kits you used and where it can be purchased?" <clears throat> All right, a um, couple of things. Um, I recently did the 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 first beer kits that I did uh, the experiments on were Morgans. They're sold out of uh, Australia from 
uh, yeah, from Australia there, <clears throat> these Morgan's beer kits, and they were excellent. Uh, really just uh, fantastic. I was very impressed uh, with the quality of that kits. And um, they are looking for like a U.S. or Canada distributor, I think, or they, they're distributed in Canada as well, but they're looking for a, a U.S. distributor. Paul Clare's um, was saying that he'd be interested in, in moving some product in the U.S., and I was just impressed, you know, with less than an hour invested in ten gallons of of beer. I was I was shocked at how good it turned out. Uh, you know, fermentation means so much to the yeah. quality of beer. You know, it's a it's an expert brewery producing that extract, and you know they know how to make great beer. So, you know, the extract's pretty good. It's the extract process, sure. Can can add some flavors to it, but you know it's it's so subtle compared to you know the quality of fermentation that most people uh, ferment their their homebrew at. So if you can ferment well, you can make a fine beer with these things. We we drank that five gallons of uh, that Morgan kit with the uh, with the West Yorkshire yeast from from Y yeast. We all just we chugged that down. Everybody loved that beer. It was it was fantastic. And recently. Uh, you know, my interest in, in these beer kits has, has grown. Um, and uh, I, I met up with the uh, the Mr. Beer Kit guys at uh, GABF. I, I ran across their booth and I was saying, yeah, you know, I, I started with a Mr. Beer Kit and uh, the result was, was crappy. <laughs> but it wasn't the Mr. Beer Kit's fault. It was my fault. I did not know what I was doing. I poor fermentation i used you know chlorinated water you know there's a lot of little problems with it and it was really me it wasn't the kit so i asked him to send me some more uh extract kits and you know i would go ahead and try them now that i actually know how to ferment stuff and uh so they did they sent me their american ipa and this uh, uh i can't remember the name of the brown ale and a pilsner and I fermented those out, and uh, I, again, I thought the results were quite good. Uh, you know, so, you know, I don't think we should be poo-pooing, uh, you know, these these pre-hopped extract kits. Um, I don't think it's as good as the best beer I could make, you know, if I'm doing all grain and, you know, doing every effort that I can to make a great beer. But if I, you know, pay the same level of attention to making a beer from one of these kits... Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised at how well that turns out, and it's it's you know it's true. if yeah. you're in a hurry, uh, you know you don't have a lot of time to invest in brewing. You know you want to spend a lot of your time listening to the Brewing Network and less time brewing. Uh, these beer kits from Morgan's, uh, Mister Beer, I think um, Muntins, John Bull, I think they all make these uh, oh, yeah. these kits. I you know just give it a try. It's uh, You'd be surprised at how how quick and easy it is, and again, depends a lot on fermentation, sanitation, things like that. Right. Yeah, I I, I brewed a lot of kit beers uh, several years ago. Brewers Best, Coopers, um, Northwest, you know, different and straight extracts too, um, and uh, made a lot of great beers from. Right. Uh, so in a lot of cases, I was brewing with uh, you know a. A straight pale malt, unhopped pale malt extract, or a amber malt extract, or a wheat malt extract, and then adding my own hops and so on. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, as you say, it's you know fermentation. Once you understand 
how you know these things should be fermented uh, for best results, um, you get great results from extract, and it takes a lot less time. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know these uh, Mr. Beer kits. Since one was an IPA, I went ahead and dry hopped it after it was done. You know, there's nothing to stop you from doing something like that and and add a lot more character. I know um, uh, John uh, Preston at Grain and Grape in uh, Melbourne. Right. Uh, he actually has wort kits. So they're not uh you know extracted down but they're 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 like a sterile wort uh and you know you can go ahead and and pitch those so he's got a, a variety of hopping levels and things like that and that seems like a pretty good thing too uh, you know if your fermentation yeah. is good I can't imagine that you can't make a great beer a really excellent beer from something like that right you know so uh, give it a try. Uh, again, uh, Morgan's was the first one I did, and then I did uh, the Mr. Beer. And the Mr. Beer is made out of uh, New Zealand, and the the Morgan's is made out of Australia. Um, uh, good stuff. I I was pleased, and I'm I'm as geeky <laughs> as it comes on making yeah. beer. Critical beer beer judge too. So yeah, but you know if it's done well, if it tastes good, then who cares what the source was? So I was I was impressed. Uh, let's see. Next question, uh, Marty, uh, Snake Creek Brewery, Sugar Valley, Georgia. I was fermenting a couple lagers last month. I pitched my starter into the wort at about. 50, and after a slow start, I had good activity about 10 days or so. For I had good activity about... You guys gotta, you know, go back and check your typing on these. 10 days or so. I figured they're pretty close to uh, being done, so I dialed the controller up to about 62 and let them rise in the freezer. When I checked them on a couple of days later, I had activity like crazy, so I let that go for a couple days and dialed the temp back down to 50. After about another week, I checked the the specific gravity, and both carboys were done about 10-12, and they tasted great. Just thought it was weird that they were fermenting like crazy when I took that temp up after fermenting for so long at 50. Can you help me understand what happened here? All right, so... Uh, right off the bat, the the problem was probably that you underpitched. Uh, if you're going to, so I'm a big advocate of um, pitching your yeast at a low temperature and letting it rise to like 45, and then letting it rise to 50, and then you know riding that for a while, and then in the last third of fermentation, maybe rising the temperature up another maybe five degrees and letting that finish out. But what that depends on, and the only time you should do that is if you are pitching the proper amount of yeast, and you can't, you know, lie to yourself or, you know, kind of cheat the system and say, well, yeah, you know, well, it wasn't quite enough starter, but, yeah, it's close enough, or you can't... Um, uh, you know, lie about the the viability of the were of the, the yeast that you have. It needs to be you know fully healthy, proper amount, and then that kind of fermentation profile will work for you. Otherwise, what happens is, you know, during that fifty degree stint that you had for ten days, you're probably you know the first. It probably drug out the. Um, uh, growth of the yeast 
to you know a good forty hours or so, you know, like you yeah. know, really drug it out. You probably end up with fewer yeast cells than you really needed. And then, you know, when you warmed it up, the yeast really became active. Maybe they weren't quite active to, to start with. Or maybe they were lower viability, things like that. And when you got them warm enough, they were able to go ahead and finish out the, the process. So you need to, you know, since the yeast activity is so much lower at a lower temperature, you need to make sure that, you know, they're healthy, you got the right quantity, all that stuff, and then it'll ferment at 50. Uh, otherwise, it won't ferment at 50. It'll just kind of slowly work along uh when you got up to 62 it was able to ferment even with fewer cells um and then um you know i would go ahead and really let that finish out before i went back down to 50 and the other thing is i wouldn't go from 50 to 62 i would go 50 to 55 or maybe you know a little bit more than that but generally you don't want to go about 12 degrees higher that's that's quite a bit uh higher and you know you want to do those temperature transitions slowly uh you know crash heating or crash cooling will make those yeast uh, express those heat shock proteins not really as big a deal if you're going to not going to repitch these but if you are going to repitch these and that is a big deal um what else would you have to say john i say i've kind of well i was going to ask um okay so the raising the temperature you know heat shock proteins and repitching Mm -hmm. uh what flavor effects could someone expect from doing that um you know uh the stresses from that and you know there's um an effect on fermentation i tried to you know pin chris white down on on specifics but it depends on the strain it depends on you know a a variety of factors but uh you know probably you know maybe more sulfur related one of the things about um you know dehydrated yeast or you know dry yeast is Uh that you know, that process again gets them to express those those heat shock proteins. Right. So okay. when I ferment with dry yeast, I can taste the difference, and you know it it just is not the same for me. And um, I'm 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 doing a uh, a pilot batch for uh, for Heretic Brewing, just a homebrew pilot batch, and mm-hmm. I was looking for. Um, a uh, for liquid, uh, you know, Cal Ale, White Labs, or 1056 Y East, and the local homebrew shop was out of it. So I went with the uh, USO5, just okay. grudgingly. You know, it's fine. You know, if you're doing a, a real flavorful beer, and um, you know, it, it turns out fine. But it's a different beer than if you if you use a yeast that hasn't gone through that process. So, um, you know, anything that stresses yeast tends to make them generate more, you know, sulfur compounds and... Ketones and yeah. esters. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, I think, you know, a lot of times people, you know, they listen to the advice of pitching it a low and cool and, you know, letting that, you know, slowly rise up. But they're not really following through on making sure they have the right yeast to do that, you know, the quantity and vitality. Yeah, and vitality is a, is a big, uh, big, a big factor there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, it's not it's not just you know pouring together four vials of uh, white labs. It's you know putting the putting the vials in a starter, mm-hmm. getting the, getting those things woken up and fed, and then you know ready to pitch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's get one more quick one, and then we'll take another uh, break. Um, Coconut and beer. Christopher, he asks, uh, my question is in regards to adding toasted coconut to a beer. When I do add the coconut, oh, no, no, no. When do I add the coconut? (laughs) I've been drinking during the show. Uh, when do I add the coconut, and uh, will the oil from the coconut affect heat retention? Head retention. Head retention. It's a T there, though. Look at this. Oh. I'll even show it to Justin. It says heat retention. Uh, head retention. Um, what would you say, John? Uh, yeah, yeah, Will. Um, you're going to... Well, you know, it's, it's going to affect the mouthfeel a little bit. It will affect the head retention. Um, you know, the, the head's going to, uh, dissipate fairly quickly on that. But, um, I, is he, did he say whether, where he was, the process he was going to add it? Well, that's, that's the, the question of when do you add it and, um, you know, okay. oh, what I the effect be? Yeah. Um, I would, I would add it in the, uh, in the fermenter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, uh, there are a lot of aromatic compounds to coconut. Yeah, that you don't want to, to just boil off, right? It's you know, I mean, the, the, there's always the question of um, sanitation. You know, is uh, mm-hmm. is this some old bag of coconut that's been sitting in the cupboard for a year that well, may have bacteria on it from the last time you baked something? Or I was talking uh, about toasting it. Okay, toasting it. So, yeah, one of the things I've always advocated is spreading it out on a on a cookie sheet, toasting it. You know, about three hundred, three fifty, till the okay. browns up, and you know, gives starts giving off that uh, aromatic kind of uh, you know cookie mm-hmm. kind of character. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would take care of the sanitation then. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, then I, then I would add it directly to the fermenter, right? Um, and uh, you would you would lose a little bit of aromatics during. Primary fermentation, if you added it towards the end, like dry hop, then uh, you would retain more of those aromatics. Mm-hmm. And more of the oil, probably. I think one of the things about adding yeah. it earlier in fermentation or even in the boil is that you know some of those oils will bind up with some of the other uh, you know break material in the boil or the kettle walls, things like that. You add it into fermentation. You know, some of those oils will you know bind up on you know yeast and other you know proteins and other you know the, the fermenter walls and uh, will pretty much be taken care of by you know the, the the initial fermentation. If you add it later on, you know once the beer has become still and fermentation is pretty much done, you add it there. I think there you're getting more of the head retention issue because you're you're going right. to end up with more of the oils. I think toasting it. Tends to uh, drive off some of that oil, right? Yeah, you, or or tends to con- change it somehow, so it's not quite as oily. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some of it just kind of leaks out onto the tray, and maybe you 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 end up with a little bit less that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if all your other process is pretty good, wouldn't you say, John, that meh, it's probably okay? Yeah, not that yeah. big a deal, right? Yeah, and. You know the head retention issue. Well, you know if the beer tastes good and 
Right. Know? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit of a trade-off, but, you know, right. that's what that's... Yeah, added it for the flavor. So, well, I'd be surprised if you're doing uh, if you're normally doing a beer and you get really nice, fine, consistent, uh, long-lasting head retention. Um, you know, this is going to knock it down by you know a tiny bit. It's not going to make it totally disappear. If you have crappy head retention to start with, then yeah, you probably have with no head. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 all relative. All right. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll uh, wrap up with just a couple more questions. Back after this. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the intuitive beer gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant weldless thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The Auto Sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah, mother... White Labs. It's all in the vial. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. 
Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his tail wagon amber ale and double secret probation IPA, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and the BN Army Members Special. Wear your BN gear, get 10% off your beer. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. I love beer. I'm a brewer. I brew it. I drink it. It's in my blood, really. I'm that guy that pours malt extract on his pancakes. I wish I could just put a good brew in my pocket and take it with me. Now you can. Hey, brewers and beer lovers. Why not eat the energy bar invented by a home brewer using the same ingredients in your brew? Introducing Brew Bar Energy Bars, spelled B-R-U-B-A-R. Malt, oats, vanilla, nuts, cinnamon, coconut. You've put them in your beer, and you'll find them in your Brew Bar Energy Bar. All natural, made with simple ingredients chosen for the highest quality. They're new, different, and have a rich malty flavor and smooth, moist texture, just like a fine craft brew. You can find Brew Bar Energy Bars at brewbar.com or find a retailer near you. And if you are a retailer, you should contact them and find out how you can sell Brew Bar Energy Bars. Check them out at brewbar.com. That's B-R-U-B-A-R.com. And follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash brewbar. Remember, it's in your Brew Bar Energy Bar because it's in your brew. This Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right. Sitting in the uh, fine studios in Pacheco, California. Drinking it's beer, talking beer. Beautiful sunny day up there. Hanging with my buds. Yes, it is a beautiful, cloudy, sunny. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of both. Day. Uh, Palmer is in the uh, Bat Cave in Southern California, unfortunately, this time. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, that's the way it goes every once in a while. It's, that's that's right. Can't, I can't always have fun. Yeah, that's right. Just ask your wife. That's right. Sure, sure. Yeah. Back back us up on that 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 fact right there. That's right. Factoid. But uh, you're going to be up. You're going to come up and do the uh, Blickman Engineering giveaway with uh, Kevin, and uh, we're going to have a blast. And yeah, we're going to. Uh, you, you're also going to be at CBC. I will be at CBC. Yeah, just go cool. When are you coming up? Um, Wednesday evening. All right. Yeah, we'll we'll be there uh, Tuesday through Sunday. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, I thought I thought I'd be coming up earlier Wednesday, but uh, I've got, we my son has a, a band concert thing we got to get yeah. to. So, well, that's most important. Yep. Uh, what airport are you flying into? San Francisco or Oakland or? Um. Yeah, San Francisco. All right. I'm trying well, to think if I have my tickets yet. I don't think I do. I was gonna. I thought about driving up initially. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you know. Let us know. Okay. We'll hang. Yes, definitely. Yeah, should be a, an excellent time. All right, so uh, let's finish up this uh, show. We got a couple of questions. One of the things about the Brewing Network, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know podcast material out there, but the Brewing Network is done live. 
you listen to the show. You can actually listen to it live. You can participate in the show, and that's what makes it great. Um, you actually uh, can can be part of this. So you go to thebrewingnetwork.com when we're doing these shows, and um, there is the listen live, and there's also the uh, chat now, and you can actually be part of the show. You click on that button. There's no password or anything. You just enter in whatever name you want. And you can you can converse with uh, for this uh, show. Justin's uh, working the the uh, the chat there. You can uh, tell him feedback on on what you're hearing, uh, questions you have, things like that. So it's one of the values of the the Brewing Network. So uh, take advantage of it. Listen to the show live, and uh, you can participate. So. I'm sure we got some questions in the chat, Justin. We do. And if I could just also mention, you know, there's lots of different ways to listen. We try to set oh, it up yeah, that yeah, way yeah. so that you, in case something's not working, you can go to another one. I noticed some people talking about the stream is a little funky today. You can always go to justin.tv slash brewing network and listen over there. You can also download our I, uh, uh, iPhone app in the store. And I think if you have an Android phone, you can go to our forum and find somebody developed an Android app for us, too. So there's tons of ways to listen. Uh, okay, Alonzo wrote in uh, the chat room today, and he wants to know, is there any truth to the rumor that you can adjust for a high grist-to-water ratio, like 1.6 uh, quarts per pound or higher? Uh, can you adjust for that uh, with a high mash temperature? Anything? Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. What is it you are adjusting for? Uh, you know, the favoring of, uh, you know, a thicker mash actually results in, um, more, it favors longer chain sugar development, uh, versus, uh, you know, shorter chain and, and a more fermentable, um, same thing as a higher mash temp. But my understanding is the difference between, let's say one quarter pound to two quarts a pound is... You know, there is a difference in fermentability and the the sugars that are developed in the mash. But, you know, that difference versus like, you know, one degree Fahrenheit or two degrees Fahrenheit is, you know, it's it's minuscule compared to a slight temperature temperature difference. So if you changed your fermentation temperature one degree Fahrenheit or half a degree C, that more than makes up for it. Okay. All right, and Mills wrote in, um, could Jay-Z and John Palmer discuss the flavor differences between Vienna and Munich malts? Yes, we could. All right, so (laughs) another show in the books. Well done. What would what would you say, John, as as to the, what do you feel the, the flavor differences between Vienna and Munich? Well, to me, Munich has a lot has a lot more flavor. Um, it's, it's, it's a dark bread, uh, kind of, um, flavor, um, bordering on soy, um, where Vienna, I, boy, I really classify that as more of a, um, sugar cookie kind of mm-hmm. flavor. Almost um, like a richer Pilsner. Yeah. Yeah, a richer base malt. It's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it doesn't have the dark overtones that uh, Munich does. Well, and, and and for me, Munich ranges from you know like a six lava bond to a twenty lava bond, you know, <laughs> variety of Munich. So. You know, when you ask about Munich, it's like, well, I'm like, well, what color, what what vendor, what, you know, what maltster. 
you know, yeah. are you are you talking about? Because they they range like John's saying everything from a really dark, you know, almost burnt bread crust character yeah. to something that's like a, a very you know an untoasted bread kind of crust character. Uh, you know, in, in Munich Malt, it also has kind of. Um, you know, a richness and a sweetness, I think, uh, that, uh, you know, Vienna tends to be more uh, lighter, toasty, uh, bready, um, mm-hmm. you know, un, untoasted bread kind of character, a rich, a richer, you know, uh, Pilsner kind of, yeah. right, right, um, uh, so a bready, you know, Vienna I would I would think of as... If you were to take a slice of like white bread, you know, Sara Lee or Wonder Kids, you know, white yeah. bread or Iron Kids, whatever it is, Wonder Bread, and uh, you know, uh, there's the center part which is kind of bready, and you know, the crust is is not very dark or, or overly flavorful. That's kind of along the lines of Vienna, and then if you were to take something like that and put it in the toaster. Um and lightly toast it, you know. Then it's more Munichy, I think. Um, although there's like kind of a deeper flavor to the the Munich as well. Yeah, it's 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 a little. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's got a, a little richer sugar, uh, uh, aromatic, dark mm-hmm. bread crust kind of. I guess it, more like a, a honey wheat toasted bread than um, a white bread toast. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's so difficult to, to describe flavors because um, you know flavors are different for everybody, mm-hmm. and uh, you know how you perceive them and all that. Um, I think it's a, a good question though, and a valid question. Uh, the The interesting thing is, you know, you should go ahead and you know make a couple of yeah. beers like that and, and um I'm trying to think of what is a, a good example that you would use that in but uh you know you could you could take some some pilsner base malt and then uh you know throw 50 percent vienna in you know 50 yeah. pilsner 50 vienna and then uh you know some some basic hopping and ferment that out and and do the same thing with a 50 percent uh uh pills 50 percent munich and use um yeah, use a uh, you know like an eight level bond Munich, and then do it again with a uh, a twenty level bond Munich, and you'd be surprised at how different those three beers are. Yeah, and a lot of you know, a lot of similarities, and then a lot of difference. And I think Vienna is very related to Munich. I think again, you know, Vienna is like the lighter end of the Munich, and you know, again, Munich goes through a lot of uh, color uh, variations. So. Uh, that's going to be your your basic difference. Yeah, get a handful at the homebrew shop and chew it up. You know, compare the flavor that way. Yeah, and that'll give you a real good, better indicator of what what the beer differences will be too. Sure. All right. Okay. Another good show. We'll we'll come back uh, if you're listening live. Just just hang on. We'll have another uh, live Q and A show uh, following this. If you're uh, listening on podcasts, it can be two weeks. So uh, what are you going to do? Podcast or live? I think you should listen live. 
And mm-hmm. I think you should also go and check out Brew Your Own Magazine. Brew Your Own Magazine, you can sign up through uh, the Brewing Network. Go to thebrewingnetwork.com, click on that big BYO logo. Half of that subscription fee goes to the Brewing Network. And that keeps this programming that you enjoy going uh, on and on. So uh, go ahead and sign up for it. I do. That's the, how I reviewed mine this year. Oh, cool. Uh, that's how I do the... I do the, uh, the uh, Style profile column every month in uh, Brew Your Own. I'm also doing a, a blog for them on Heretic Brewing. They, they talked me into doing a blog, and uh, so it's kind of uh, my process of, of getting the brewery going. So, yeah, you check all that. UIO, real interesting. A lot of great stuff available through uh, Brew Your Own magazine. Lots of recipes. And, John, you've written some great columns for them uh, in the past. I assume you'll be, you'll be writing more for them in the future, huh? I will, yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Good magazine, good people, lots of lots of good stuff. So uh, brew your own magazine, uh, byo.com. And uh, remember, uh, 10, 25, 16, hut, hut. You're strong. Heretic.